today what I want to do is I just want to, we're going to look at the first four verses of this letter, which really is, we believe, a letter that we're going to gain so much out of uh, that is so needed for us to study at this particular time in history, uh, so relevant to many of the things that we are facing as believers in the world. Uh, and so this is why we believe that the Lord has directed us towards this letter at this particular time. And so I think that there's a lot that we're going to gain from it, a lot of things that are very needed for us to be strong and steadfast in the times that we're living. And so let's look at the first four verses today. And, and what I want to do is I just want to introduce the letter very briefly. Um, but I also want to just, through these four verses, lay a foundation, set the sort of the platform from which we're going to study the rest of this letter because that's really what uh, the author of this letter um, does in these first four verses. So let's just read them and then we'll, we'll just go through them and unpack them and I believe that we're going to see some tremendously wonderful truths today that will just point us towards uh, the state of blessedness, give us an understanding and insight into the state of blessedness that we have as believers and the importance of and the significance of the knowledge of God. All right, so you ready to read? Let's go. Verse 1. Simeon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received the same kind of faith as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust." Well, there's just so much that we can, we can glean from this particular passage. So let's just start out by asking the question, who is the author of this book that we're going to be studying? Well, I think it's quite clear here. Uh, he refers to himself as Simeon Peter, and you may say, well, who on earth is Simeon Peter? Well, Simeon is just the Hebrew version of the, the, the name Simon. So this is Simon Peter. He's one of the 12 apostles. Uh, I think we're all familiar with him. Often in the, in the Gospels, he's referred to as Simon Peter. Simon was the name that was given to him by his parents when he was born. Peter is the name that the Lord Jesus gave to him, which means uh, a rock, a little rock. And so here is this man who we know uh, was one of Jesus' foremost apostles. He was one of the three, as we will see in this letter, who went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Jesus transfigured. He traveled with him. He was one of Jesus' closest disciples. So that's the author of this book. And we see that as he starts out his letter here, he gives his credentials. And he gives them basically in a couple of words. He says, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. That's the credentials that he gives. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. So what does he, why does he use those two th 
things to define what he is and what he's about. Well, when we consider the term a slave of Jesus Christ, really what he's referring to here is he's, he's speaking of his devotion to Jesus Christ, his devotion to Jesus' will, to doing his pleasure. As a slave of Jesus Christ, what he's saying is he's not serving his own agenda, but he's serving the will of his master. And so really in, in, in using those terms there, he's pointing out, out to us that as he writes this letter, this is in the service of Jesus and the service of Jesus alone. There's no other agenda that he has as he writes this letter. When he talks about himself being an apostle of Jesus Christ, what is he speaking about there? Well, he's speaking about the authority that he has been given by Jesus Christ. And so as he writes this letter, he's not writing it by his own authority or under his own authority. He's writing it under the delegated authority of Jesus Christ. Because Peter was one of those that Jesus himself handpicked, hand-trained, and sent out and commissioned to take the gospel, the word of God, to the nations of the world. And so we're reading a letter here by someone who has authority to do what he's doing and to say what he's saying and to teach what he's teaching. So we could say this, as an apostle, Peter was officially an appointed representative of Jesus Christ. And so in, in introducing himself in this letter this way, what is he doing? He's establishing the fact that he wrote this letter in the service of Jesus, under his authority, and at his command. And so as we read this letter, that's how he intends us to come to it. That's how he intends us to receive it and to view it. We need to remember that in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 40, the Lord said to his apostles, as he was sending them out, he said this to them, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. When we open our hearts to what the apostles have given us, we are actually opening our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in opening our hearts to Him, we're opening our hearts to our Father, the God who created all things. And so that's how we need to come. With that kind of attitude, we come to this letter. Let's move on and ask now, to whom was this letter written? Well, it, once again, it's plainly put there. He says, to those who have received the same kind of faith as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you hold today, if you hold the same beliefs that the apostles held, that Peter himself held, then this letter is written to you. This letter is what we call a general letter. It wasn't written to one specific church in one specific locality. We could say this, this letter was written to God's people in every generation, in every nation, wherever they would be found, and whenever they would live. So this letter is actually addressed to you and I. Personally addressed to you and I. If we have this same kind of faith as Peter had, then this letter is directly addressed to us. Just notice that he says there, to those who have received the same kind of faith. I want to just highlight that word received. What does this tell us? It tells us that our faith, the faith that we have, is actually a gift of God. 
It says in Acts chapter 18 and verse 27 that it is by grace that we believe. Do you know that? We don't believe just because we chose to believe. We believe because it was granted to us to believe. And you know what? That should make us very, very thankful. To think that we sit here today, we have a faith, a living faith, in the God of all the universe because He granted that to us. He granted us the grace to believe. And how did He do it? Well, Peter tells us here, He did it by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He says, we have received the same kind of faith as He had by the righteousness of of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember in Hebrews what we learned? Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that has given it birth, that has given it substance. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter said this, It is through Jesus that we have come to believe. How did God give us this grace to be able to believe? He gave it to us through Jesus Christ, through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, through who He is, through what He's done. John chapter 1, verse 16, maybe you could just put that up. Thanks, Colby. Look at what the Apostle John writes here. He says, for from His fullness, that's the Lord Jesus, from His fullness, from the fullness of His righteousness, the fullness of His grace, His power, His love, we have all received. What have we received? Grace upon grace upon grace. We've received grace to believe, and then because we believe, we've received more grace. And we'll see as we come to the next verse that that's not even where it ends there. In the, this faith that we have, that He talks about here is the same kind and when he says that he's, he's referring to the fact that this faith that we have is of the same value and honor as that of the apostles do you know how precious the faith that we have is in the Lord Jesus Christ do you know the value of the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ this faith that we have in God I tell you we are rich we are rich. The Lord Jesus said to that church, I think it was the church in Smyrna in the book of Revelation, He said, I know your poverty, but you are rich. And you know that if we didn't even have a dime in our banks, we didn't even have a spare pair of clothes to put on, we could stand and say we are rich because of the richness of this faith that we've received from God. It's incredible, isn't it? And as we go on in this, in this passage, we'll see what this faith has brought to us and the possibilities that it has opened for us. So let's go on and, and have a look at this. Before we do, I just want to just point out one more thing from the verses that we were looking at. Jesus is referred to by Peter as our God and Savior. He says we've received this precious faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know in calling Him that, do you know that He's ascribing deity to the Lord Jesus? Do you know there's many people today that don't want to ascribe deity 
to the Lord Jesus. There's many groups that deny his divinity. But look at what Peter says. Look at how Peter refers to him. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is he your God and Savior today? Is that how you would refer to him? Because if we have the same kind of faith as the apostles had, that's how we will refer to him. Our God and Savior. Why did Peter write this letter? Let me just ask that question. Well, we don't see it in this particular passage, but I do just want to look at three verses uh, in this chapter, verses 13 through to verse 15, and we will see why he writes this letter. And this is very significant, very important for us to take to heart. He says, Indeed, as long as I am in this tabernacle, I consider it right to stir you up by a way of reminder. When he talks about the tabernacle, his, he's talking about his body. And so he's saying, as long as I'm here in the flesh. And then he carries on in verse 14, he says, Since I know that my tabernacle will soon be removed. In other words, I'm going to die. Because our Lord Jesus Christ has revealed this to me. Indeed, I will also make every effort that after my departure, my death, you will have a testimony of these things. Do you know that this letter is Peter's farewell address to the church of Jesus Christ? As an apostle of Jesus, he realizes that he's going to his death, that he doesn't have much longer to live. Bible scholars tell us that this letter was probably written in AD 67, just before Peter was martyred by Nero in Rome. And so maybe it was even written while he was there in Rome, and he, could, he, he foresaw, he could see, he knew what was going to happen. And so these are his last words. And I just want you to think today. You've often heard, and maybe you've even experienced it, where someone that's on their deathbed calls their family to them. And lying on their deathbed basically gives them their last words. You know, whenever somebody does that, you can be absolutely assured there's going to be no frivolity involved. Jokes are going to be put aside. The only thing that's going to be shared is what that person thinks is absolutely critical for him to share. And that's what this letter contains. Peter, as he was going to his death, by the Holy Spirit was enabled to foresee what was going to take place through the generations, in the church, until Jesus came. He was allowed to see by the Holy Spirit the battle, the war that would be waged against God's people. And he was enabled to see the very nature of that battle. What would be the very core of that battle? And so with that insight, as he faces death, he's prompted and inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen the words that we are going to be studying in this particular letter. And so as we come to this, let's remember, let's not forget the incredible importance that these words have. This is a man facing death, his last words that he's committing to us here. We need to receive them as that. And uh, that's why we've actually, I think it's not up there now, but we've uh, entitled this, this series, Getting to Heaven through treacherous times. Because that is what this letter is about. 
It's about enabling us and giving us the tools, the keys, the knowledge, what we need to be able to travel through this treacherous road of life, face all the challenges and opposition that we're going to face, and come out on the other side receiving a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. And I think every one of us, that's what we want, isn't it? We want to be victorious. And we've been called to be victorious. And so this letter is going to give us tools that we need for that. Amen. Let's go on to verse 2. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So he starts out this letter expressing his desire for those to whom he's writing. And that's us. So Peter, in writing this letter, the very purpose for which he's writing this letter is that grace and peace would be multiplied to us in our knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just think about this, grace and peace. Aren't these two, the two things that we most need in life? Grace and peace. He's not talking here about the grace that saves us because the people that he's writing to are already saved. He's talking about grace to be able to live our lives out in this world victoriously, triumphantly, to overcome every temptation, every work of the enemy, everything that Satan would throw at us, and at the end of it all, be able to stand before the Lord without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, rejoicing with exceedingly great joy. That's what, what he wants as he writes this letter. So that's the grace that he's talking about, the grace that enables us to live victorious Christian lives in this everyday life that we live this, and this world. When he talks about peace, what is he talking about? Not the absence of trouble and trials, but the ability to have peace no matter what the circumstances no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, no matter what we see happening in the world, to be able to have a peace that is just settled in our hearts. So this is what Peter is writing this letter for, that this grace and this peace would not just be ours in small measure, but he uses this word, he says it would be multiplied to us. We would have it in great abundance. I don't know about you, but that's what I desire. I desire to have an abundance of grace, an abundance of peace in my life. I want my life to be filled with God's grace and God's peace. And so as we come to this letter, let's open our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to take these words and minister to us in such a way that it will bring that about. Amen? Are you all still with me? All right, great. So let's move on and let's just have a look at the verse 3. Notice what he says here in verse 3. He talks here about God's divine power. He says, seeing that God's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. I just want to point out some things here. Firstly, 
Do you believe this? Do you believe what that verse says? Do you believe that God has given you everything that you need for life and godliness? Just think about that statement. Notice that he doesn't say God will give it to us. He says God has given it to us. It's something he's already done. And how has he given it? And this is the most important part. How has he given it? Through the full knowledge of him who called us. Do you know that everything that God does in our lives is ministered to us through our knowledge of him? How did we come to faith? How did we receive this precious faith? We received it when we gained a knowledge of who he is. As our eyes were opened to who he is, we received this faith. How does God minister grace to us and bring peace into our lives? We looked at it in verse 2. In the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like this, you know, if you want to receive strength in your physical body, what do you do? You eat. And in taking that food simultaneously you gain strength and you know that that's how it works with the knowledge of God as our knowledge of God increases as it grows do you know what happens God's grace grows as God's grace grows in our lives peace grows in our lives as God's peace grows in our lives we find everything we need for life and godliness is there at our disposal. So what does this tell us? It tells us about the importance of our knowledge of God. There's no greater treasure. You know, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said this. He said, God has shone His light into our hearts to give us the knowledge of who He is and of His glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And then he said, we have this treasure in jars of clay. What is the treasure he was talking about? The treasure of the knowledge of God. Do you know that there are millions of people in this world today that do not have this treasure? You know, I, I, I pray, and I pray this for myself as well as for you, that we would understand just how blessed we are. To be able to stand here today and say we have this treasure. God has shone into our hearts to give us the knowledge of who He is. That we can stand and sing those songs that we were singing today. Because we have this knowledge of who Jesus is. This knowledge of the true and living God. John chapter 17 and verse 3. This is what the Lord Jesus said. I don't know if you can just find that verse there, Colby. Look at what the Lord Jesus said. He said, this is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. He, the Lord Jesus equates the knowledge of who he is, the knowledge of the one true God to eternal life. You know that no one can have eternal life without that knowledge. That knowledge is what eternal life is all about.
It's knowing Him. I don't know. Sometimes I'm lost for words, Ian. Not quite sure how to put this across because our English language is just too limited. What I'm feeling in my heart is I just think about the blessedness that God has given us. This, the blessings He's poured out upon us just because we know Him. Ian read that psalm earlier on about praising the Lord. Do you know, even if we just stand up in the morning and we say, Lord, I thank you that I can praise you just because I know you. I mean, we could go all day just thanking God just for that. Not even thinking about anything else. Just the fact that we know him, that he's our God, he's our father. I mean, this is just incredible to me. And so as we grow in the knowledge of God, and we're going to see this throughout this letter. Peter's going to bring this up constantly. In fact, let me just point out uh, chapter 3, verse 18, if you can find that, Colby. As we go through this letter, we're going to see Peter talking about the knowledge of God. It's going to come up in this letter. Look at what he says at the very end of the letter, and we will talk about it in more detail later on. But he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see how he equates growth in the knowledge of God with growth in grace? As we grow in the knowledge of God, we grow in grace. So Peter is giving us some incredible insight, and it can really be summed up in this one thing, the knowledge of God. Let's have a quick look at verse 4 before we close. He says, For by these, that's by God's glory and His excellence, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. Isn't that incredible? Do you thank God for His promises? Not only do we have a knowledge of Him, but we have His promises. And he says, so by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Do you know that this verse here really gives us understanding and insight into God's purpose for our lives? What salvation is all about? His plan for us is? And it's really twofold. Number one, escaping. Being delivered, being rescued from what? The corruption that is in the world because of lust. And you know that every single one of us has been delivered from that and is in the process of being delivered from that. The corruption that is in the world. It's speaking about the wickedness, the evil that is in this world because of evil desires. So that's the first part of salvation. The Lord Jesus comes and He rescues us from that corruption. He delivers us from the control of evil desires. And He brings us out into a place where those evil desires don't control us like they used to control us. So that's the first aspect of salvation. The second aspect is, he talks about entering in and becoming partakers of something that we never had any share in before. And what is it? The divine nature. So salvation is not just escaping the corruption in the world. It's becoming a partaker, a sharer in the very nature of God himself. Do you see what God's plan for us is? 
So let's have a look at that. What does becoming a partaker of the divine nature mean? Well, if we were to go on and next week Ian will take us through this in verses 5 to 7, it's talking about becoming a partaker in the very characteristics that God produces and wants to produce in His people. Things like goodness and self-control and perseverance and godliness and love. It's what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. Just look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 8. This is what John writes. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. It's His very divine nature. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Why does he say those who love have been born of God? Because those that love are sharing in God's very nature. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So salvation is God calling us out of wickedness and into partaking in these very attributes of God. But you know, it's even more than that. Just look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. This is what John also writes. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God. We have been born of God. And as a result, we do have the nature of God. And it has not been manifested as yet what we will be. But we know that when He is manifested, when He is revealed, that's the Lord Jesus, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. Do you see God's plan for us? Ultimately, we are going to be made like the Lord Jesus in every way. This is what God has predestined us to. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says, Because those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. That's our destiny. That's what God has predestined us for. And so salvation is to take us from where we were, caught in corruption, caught in wickedness, under the dominion and power of sin, and to bring us ultimately through to this place where we fully resemble our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, look at what it says there. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, speaking about the knowledge that we have of God, are being transformed, don't we love that word, transformed, into the very same image of God, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. This is God's ongoing work in our lives. He's taking us from where we were, and day by day, He's transforming us as we grow in the knowledge of God into the very likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. One day we will stand in His presence, and we will receive His glory, and we will have a body just like His. We will be made like Him in every way. This is what salvation is all about. And so just in these four verses here, we've come to see what salvation is all about. Receiving the knowledge of God, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, escaping the sin in the world, and becoming a very partaker in the divine nature. 
We've also seen that it is the knowledge of God that God ministers to us through His Word that is the means that God is going to use to accomplish this. And so as we come to this letter, let's remember as we read it, the place, this privileged position that God has put us in by grace. What He has given us, these great and precious promises, what His plan for us is. And as we do that, and as we keep those in our minds, we will understand why everything that's being shared in this letter is being shared. It's because God is committed to seeing this fulfilled in our lives. Shall we pray? Father, we just want to thank you today for this amazing grace. Oh Lord, I, my words fail me to be able to express what I see as I look at these scriptures. But Lord, I know that by your Spirit you minister an understanding of what you have given us. This blessed state that you have brought us into. What your plan for us is as believers. And how you are going to accomplish it in our lives. Father, thank you for this incredible knowledge, this treasure that you've given us of yourself. Oh Lord, we live in a world that is seeking knowledge, that is just so filled with all kinds of knowledge. And yet, Father, there's one knowledge that stands head and shoulders above all the others, that is as important to us, more important to us than any other kind of knowledge, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so much this is more important to us. And yet so often, Father, we, we fail to seek this knowledge. We fail to desire to grow in this knowledge. And we treat it, Lord, as if it's a common thing. Help us today, Father, to recognize and to realize what you have given us. The treasure that each and every one of us has in our hearts because of our knowledge of you. And Father, help us not to forget the people all around us that do not yet have this knowledge. And help us, Father, to seek to share this great treasure that we have with them. So we ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen.